Please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds. Please think through them and take our will. Set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. We are in a sermon series through the book of Thessalonians. You may want to turn there. It's printed in your service leaflet. Last week, we considered two great commitments of the people of God. A commitment to the gospel, to guard it, uh, to proclaim it. A second commitment to the family of God, to care for the family, to love the family of God. Two commitments, love and truth. This week, we move to two characteristics of the people of God. You'll find them in the service, in the lesson we had read. I see two primary characteristics of the people of God. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 8. The first characteristic is the characteristic of holiness. The second characteristic, verses 9 through 12, is the characteristic of love. We can even put a finer point on that opening characteristic. It's not just love, but you can see the particular focus uh, that's being addressed. Bodily purity, if I could use that euphemistically. Uh, we could put a finer point and say not just love and holiness, but chastity and charity. Those are the two subjects that are addressed in this passage, two characteristics of the people of God. So which one would you rather hear about this morning? Chastity or charity? My wife is having the talk with some of our younger children. Another reason for her sainthood. Uh, I've had none of these talks. It's all been Jennifer, so she's having the talk with our youngest. And I know that the talk is occurring because of the cries first of, of protest and then of disgust from my youngest son as the talk occurs. So... I can guess what subject he would rather hear about, which one he would rather not hear about. Probably the, probably the same for you. However, the Bible is unblushing when it talks about issues of bodily purity and for the benefit of young listeners. I'll use that phrase a little euphemistically. Adults, you can discern what I'm talking about. Uh, but the Bible is unblushing about the importance of bodily purity, and we should address it as well. So those will be our two subjects this morning. Love and holiness, chastity and charity. Ready? Let's jump with the end with the easy one. Uh, love and holiness. And let's first observe that these are two characteristics that seem at first blush to pull in opposite directions, don't they? Love is the language of yes. The language of allowance, sure. Holiness is the language of no. Abstentions. If there was an era or an icon of love, maybe it's the 1960s. Bell bottoms, uh, free love, no rules, all fun. If there is an image for the, the uh, icon for the era, era of holiness, maybe the 60s, just the 1760s. The Puritans, powdered wigs, uh, wool suits, all rules, no fun. Now, we'll see this as a caricature of both, both love and holy, holiness that does justice to neither. But just let's first observe that these two characteristics that God has put together don't often fit together in the same person. We can picture someone holy, someone loving, but one person holy and loving? Ah. So how did that come to be? How did these two things that fit together, or at least should fit together, upon first blush, look like they are moving in opposite directions? I think the reason is because words are tricky little things. Words move. They shift. 
Uh, when bad used to mean bad. In the 80s, when I grew up, Michael Jackson made bad good. I think bad now means bad again now. Uh, but my point is that words shift. Words evolve. By the way, parenthetically, this is why uh, the, when the Catholic Church writes a, an important document, they use Latin. Why? It's dead. Dead languages don't move. But if you speak a living language, it's going to move on you. And I think these two words, love and holiness, have evolved. They've shifted so that I'm not sure that when we say love or when we say holiness, I don't know if we're, exactly talk, we're talking exactly about what the same thing as the biblical authors talked about. So that'll be our, our assignment this morning, to think of what the Bible means when it says love and holiness and compare it to what we mean when we say love and holiness. If we could take a snapshot and capture a dictionary use of those two words today, what would they mean? Let's start with love. What do we mean today when we say love? Love is a popular word. We like love. I passed several signs on the way in. Love wins uh, in, in people's yards. Uh, we hear sentiments like be who you are and love who you are. Live your life. Love your life. You could find these sentiments on coffee mugs or uh, the themes of movies or in songs by Taylor Swift that I'm forced to listen to. Uh, live your life and love your life. Be who you are. Now, what are we... How are we using that word? When we say love your life, I think if we could capture that word as it is used now, we, what, we're mean, what we mean is just one aspect of the word love. I think what we mean is affirm, accept. Be who you are, love who you are. Be who you are and affirm who you are. Accept who you are. See, that word fits a little bit. So when I, my hypothesis is, and you can disagree with this, uh, my hypothesis is that we as a culture, when we use this word love, what we really mean is affirmation and acceptance. To prove the point just a, a little bit more, think about the opposite of love, hate. Think about the opposite of acceptance, intolerance. Think of how hate and intolerance are often just treated as synonymous terms. And so my suggestion is hate and intolerance are synonymous, then love and acceptance are also generally treated as synonymous. So you may be thinking, what's so wrong with affirmation? What's so wrong with acceptance? Absolutely nothing. If you've read that uh, book by, it's called The Five Love Languages. One of the five love languages is words of affirmation. I love words of affirmation. Nothing wrong with affirmation. What I'm suggesting is that if love is largely equated with affirmation and acceptance, then we've really kind of truncated a very powerful word. It means more than that. Not less, but more. Sugar cookies are made of more than just sugar. They have other ingredients. And there are other ingredients into this great biblical word, love. So when the Bible says love, what does it mean? You know that movie, uh, The Princess Bride? Every time the farm boy said, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. When the Bible says, uh, God loves, what's it saying? Note that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. 
the author says that God has taught you to love. So how does God love? I think the best known passage and the best description of God's love is found in John chapter 3, verse 16. You probably know that passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believe in him will not perish. I think that well-known passage clarifies the word love. And the word love as it is used in that sentence, is used to convey concern for the welfare of the beloved. Try to insert those words. For God was so concerned for the welfare of his beloved that he gave his only son so that they might inherit eternal life. That's what the Bible means when it says that God loves to be concerned. When the Bible says the word love, it is really expressing the lover's great concern for the highest and the best for their beloved. That's not just a theological definition, that is a logical definition. Every child who tells their parent, every parent that tells their child as they took them in, I love you, what that parent is really saying is I want what is best for you. Let me summarize. I'm not saying that affirmation and acceptance are wrong or bad. Not at all. I'm simply saying that this word love that is commonly used often means largely affirmation, largely acceptance. And while love includes affirmation and acceptance, it includes much more. To reduce love to simply that is to reduce a great and powerful word. A better theological and even logical definition of the word love is to concern ourselves with what is best for the one that we love. Which begs the question, so what is best for the one we love? Let's move on to the second word, holiness. If the word love suffers from overuse and has become vague, the word holiness has suffered from underuse and become crusty. Can you think of a compliment that includes the word holy? Nope. A holy roller is someone with simple beliefs expressed fanatically. A holy huddle is an inclusive group that is skeptical of those who are outside. Uh, a, someone who is holier in that than thou is uh, arrogant and morally superior. It's just hard to think of a good use of that word holy, isn't it? Which is strange, because I think according to this passage at least, there's nothing more important than our holiness. God is holy, his spirit is holy, verse eight. God's will for us is our holiness, verse three. When it says God wills your sanctification, that word sanctification simply means holiness. God calls us to holiness, verse 7. God will avenge unholiness, verse 6. God has given us his spirit of holiness so that we might be holy. It is his will for us, his call for us, it is his nature, it is how he empowers us. So either God's will for us is that we be arrogant and prudish and insular, or perhaps we've forgotten what this great word holiness means. 
When the Bible says, God is holy, you be holy, what does it mean? What does it say? I think we have a hint. Do you see how verse holiness is equated with another word? Honor. Control your bodies with holiness and with honor. I made a recent discovery that has helped me clarify the Bible's use of the word holy. Often when the Bible uses the description holy, it's in response to God's royalty. So Psalm 99 would be one example of many. The Lord reigns. He is king. He sits enthroned. Let the people tremble. The Lord is great. He he is exalted over all. Let them praise his name. Holy is he. You see how the psalmist employs the word? God is sovereign. He is the king. He is worthy of honor. In some, he is holy. These are the words that the Bible associates with holiness. Not prudishness, not arrogance, not moral superiority. When the Bible talks about holiness, it expresses to be holy is to be honorable, worthy, even royal. God is holy. He is the great king. Do you remember Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe? Four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy, they stumble into Narnia as little immature children. But they grow. They encounter Aslan, who is a Christ-like figure. And they, they, they shake off their immaturity. And by the end of the book, this is how they are described. Peter became tall, a deep-chested man. He was called Peter the Magnificent. The same with Susan, the same with Lucy, the same with Edmund. They took on a royal bearing. Their growth from immaturity into royalty is an allegory for our growth from immaturity into holiness. We're not to be immature children who who don't know how to control their bodies. Uh, But with a a royal bearing, uh, we're to control ourselves with holiness and honor and dignity. That's what the Bible means. I stumbled upon a book of manners some years ago. I had all these pithy statements, old-fashioned statements of gentlemen do this and gentlemen do that. Gentlemen walk on this side of the street. Gentlemen don't spit, don't chew gum, etc. This passage is addressing something much more important than which side of the street to walk on or whether or not to chew gum. This passage is addressing our holiness in a particular area, in that same area that made our, my youngest son squirm. And the warning of this particular immorality is captured by the Greek word pornea. Pornea. And you can hear its root in other unpleasant words. Now, pornea doesn't express, address one specific act, but it is a bucket a big bucket for any use of our body that would fall outside of God's grand design 
for us, one man, one woman in the context of a marriage. That is God's intention for this aspect of our humanity. And to give our bodies to anything else or to anyone else in any other way is just beneath our dignity. This passage is telling us that we should strive to govern our bodies in this very consequential area, like lords and ladies, like sons and daughters of the great king. I can imagine that for some of us, this is uh, the, the idea that we are holy, royal, seems like a stretch, to say the least. Maybe as we think about this particular area of focus, we think, gosh, my life is just far, 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 far from holy. While this passage in my sermon, therefore, address our responsibility to pursue holiness, the good news of the Christian faith is that we have a much better foundation for our holiness. Listen to this brief passage from Colossians chapter 1. It describes what Jesus did on the cross, that he died to make peace, by his body on the cross, and in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, he's, the author writes this, and you, this, these are the results of what Jesus did. And you who were once alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled to God in his body by his death in order to present you and me holy. God loves you and me, with a deep and biblical love, which means he wants what is best for you and me. What is best for you and me? Your holiness. He sent his son Christ to die on the cross for all of our unholiness. In this area, that's under consideration in this passage, and in all other areas of life, that by his death, he takes away the stain of sin and presents us as holy and blameless. Sons and daughters, royal sons and daughters. Let me summarize. We began with a caricature of love and holiness that seemed to pit one against the other. But I hope as we've thought a little bit more carefully about these words, we can see these terms are not in conflict, but they complement one another. To love someone with a biblical love and logical love is to want what is best. What is best is your holiness. To love someone, to truly love them, is to concern yourself with what is best, their honor, their worthiness, even their royalty, so that they might be what they are intended to be, a son or a daughter, of the high king of heaven. So may God remind us of the richness and the depth of these two great words, love and holiness. And may these two great characteristics of the people of God, love and holiness, be true for you and true for me. Let's take a moment and think about these two characteristics. Are they present in our lives? Love and holiness. If not, let's ask God by his spirit to give us the grace of love and holiness.